Thanks for joining us on Fresh Faith. We're excited to bring you a special season of the podcast. Ron and former Pittsburgh Steeler Tunch Ogan have worked alongside one another for years. You may remember Tunch on some previous episodes of the podcast. A while back, they teamed up to do a special series on the Journey Radio called Biblical Manhood. This series has been one of the most well-received series, and so we knew we just had to bring it to you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us again on Fresh Faith. I'm so glad that you're back. We have episode four of the Biblical Manhood series. What do sons and their fathers need in order to be equipped to lead their families? That's a crucial issue in today's world, and especially in today's church. So Ron Moore and men's pastor Tunch Ilkin are going to spend time addressing that topic and offering some practical insight for real men in the real world. We're doing a special series on the issues that men deal with every day. And I'm being joined by Tunch Ilkin, a pastor of men's ministries at the Bible Chapel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a popular speaker on men's issues. Tunch, today we want to talk about a man and his family. To do that, let's go back and talk about a man and his father because there's a huge connection there. Now, you're a big guy, 14-year veteran of the NFL, 14 Pro Bowls. No, 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 two Pro Bowls. Two two Pro Bowls. And your dad wasn't that big of a guy at all. No, no, no. And yet... He had tremendous influence on your life. Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad was only 5'7", but he was old school. You know, we immigrated to the United States when I was two and a half years old. And my father, I come to this country with nothing, you know, to make a life for my family. And that's the way my dad was. Tough guy, uh, very hard worker. My dad had this unbelievable work ethic. And, you know, like a lot of sons, I wanted to grow up and be like my dad. My dad worked hard. My dad was tough. He was uncompromising. There was just no backup in him. And I learned that from him. And, you know, I wanted to please my dad in the Turkish culture. The father's the patriarch. And I always say that my dad spoke in proclamations instead of sentences. Today, this is the day we do everything was a proclamation. I loved him and I had tremendous amount of respect for him. He was the leader of the family, and I wanted to emulate his toughness and his work ethic. And my dad was as stubborn as the day is long, too. He was like a government mule. You could break a two-by-four over his forehead, and he was just not backing up. You knew my dad. His personality and his character was so important to him, and it was almost at times to the extreme of where you just have to laugh and shake your head. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. My dad was different in a lot of ways than your dad, but I had no doubt how much he loved me and cared for me. He was adopted, and he was born in Elmira, New York. There was an ad put in the paper that a girl was going to give away a baby. Uh And so my grandparents went there, and she chose my grandparents to have my father. Later on... My dad learned that he was adopted. They never told him. And his dad was a tough guy, kind of a scoundrel, and would travel around the country. It was in Oklahoma during kind of in the Dust Bowl Depression years. And as they were traveling around, the family contracted typhoid fever. And the oldest daughter died, and my dad got it, and it settled in his leg. There's always one leg that was kind of swollen. So he had some challenges because of his father. And he didn't let that cycle continue. He was always letting me know how proud he was. I mean, how much he loved me and all that. 
but he didn't get that from his father. There are a lot of guys that suffer from, I think uh, one guy calls it father wounds, that impact their ability to parent, impact their ability to do marriage, Mm -hmm. sometimes just impact their ability to do life. You're talking to guys all the time. What are some of the wounds that are inflicted by fathers that men have today? Robert Lewis from Men's Fraternity who is a pastor in a church in Arkansas, he is a guy that speaks to the father wound or the woundedness of men. And one of the things that Robert Lewis says is that manhood is in a state of confusion. Confused men make horrible decisions. And we all grow into adulthood with baggage. Until we unpack that baggage and take a look inside to find out why we are the way we are, we really can't be the men that God has called us to be, and probably the biggest wound, and this was Robert Lewis's wound, he had an absent daddy and an alcoholic dad who was absent, and he said that there's a picture of he and his two brothers and his father, and his father was back away from the sons, and you could only see kind of a silhouette of him, and he said, that's the way my dad was in our lives. He just wasn't there. He was kind of on the edge as kind of a participant, but not wholeheartedly there. As a result of that, Robert Lewis said that he grew up with the father wound. He said that he grew up with the lack of a manhood vision wound. His father didn't teach him what it meant to be a man. His father didn't affirm him. In earlier shows, we talked about that every man grows up screaming, do I have what it takes? Am I a man? And Lewis's contention is if a father does not tell his son, that he is a man. If he doesn't tell him the three things, one thing he always says is, three things your son needs to hear from you is, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good, good at whatever. And if we don't get that blessing, not only do we need to hear it in private, but we need to hear it in the company of other men. And so what Robert Lewis will do is he will cite the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and says, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. Listen to what he said. God the Father affirms Jesus before he starts his public ministry. Think about it, that Jesus, although he was 100% man, he was 100% God, you would think that in his deity, he wouldn't need to hear that, but in his humanity, he needed that affirmation. And so Lewis would say When I think of myself, when you think of yourself, do I hear the Father's voice? This is my son who I am well pleased. Or do I hear some lie about who I am? He talks about Burt Reynolds, that Burt Reynolds said in the South, you're not a man until your father tells you you're a man. Burt Reynolds talks about his own dysfunction and his own kind of crazy living, and he was looking to fill that void that he didn't get of affirmation from his dad by trying to measure up from a standpoint of promiscuity, from success through athletics, success through business, and that he never got that validation because he never got it from his father. We talk about that fathers need to have from their fathers the things that only their fathers can give them so they can pass on to their kids. But this is something that affects our relationship with God. I remember talking to a guy one time, and he said, my dad was a jerk. So when you talk about God the Father, right. I got problems with that. Mm-hmm. He would always say, Jesus, he's a good guy. He's I, I okay. Can, <laughs> Jesus is okay. <laughs> Jesus is okay. Yeah. Jesus is just all right. Yeah, with, Jesus, that's, with a song, that's a song. <laughs> Doobie Brothers, I think. You know, Jesus is fine. But when you start talking about the Father, mm-hmm. man, 
I go right back to my dad. I do not have good thoughts. So we're not talking about something just passed on by families. We're not talking about the horizontal here. We're talking about the vertical relationship we have with God. When we as dads don't pass on that positive example and model of what it means to be a father. Right. Then it becomes generational. I pass on that woundedness to my own son if I don't hear the father's voice. I've had a friend who never got the affirmation from his dad. His dad was a very successful businessman, so he is a workaholic, and his goal is to be more successful than his father was. And the irony was when he lost his father, he wept and he wept and he wept, and not only for the loss, but I believe for that lost relationship that there was this competition that he set up in his mind that he had to be more successful as dad because he was driving to get the affirmation that you're good, I'm proud of you, I love you. Sometimes it manifests itself in addiction. Guys who don't get it look for that validation in kind of a wild lifestyle, in a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. Sometimes it manifests itself in a homosexual relationship. I have talked to men who didn't have the affirmation from the father looking for intimacy in a father figure ends up falling into a sexually active role with another man looking for that validation. And so there are a number of ways that it manifests itself. Robert Lewis talks about that he was angry because he didn't have a manhood vision. That's another wound. This is what it means to be a man. This is how you treat your wife. This is how you parent. This is how you change a flat tire, balance a checkbook. We rely on our fathers for that. If we don't get it, if we don't get a clear vision of manhood, many times we turn to anger. We turn to destructive limiting. We turn to using people. Whatever, however it manifests itself in behavior, it's because we have that father wound. So we've said in an earlier broadcast that the most important thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. Now, we need to tell them we love them. We're proud of you. Right. And you're really great at yeah. whatever they choose to do in life. So those are important things. Now, a lot of dads, in trying to do that, right. these are good guys, right. trying to do it, they have the struggle with living their life through their children. Right, right. And both of us have been involved in coaching right. and recreational sports. Some crazy dads out there. There are crazy dads. These guys need to relax a little bit, right. not live their life through their kids. Right. Two verses, and I want you to comment on this. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Right. I raise my hand. I have exasperated my kids right. sometimes. And sometimes it's been when I've been coaching them in sports. Right. Colossians chapter 3, Fathers, do not embitter your children, right. or they'll become discouraged. A lot of guys listening love sports, and their kids are growing up, and they want to get them involved in sports. Great stuff. Learn right. so much from sports. And yet, you can't live your life right. through your kids or be overly hard on them right. as you coach them and interact with them. Talk about some of the things that you talk to men about right. regarding this area. Yeah, I always tell guys, like you said, relax. Look, I saw it firsthand. My oldest son, Tanner, his first year playing organized football, the guy that was coaching him was clearly impacted by this situation that he was coaching these guys. And I don't know if his validation came from being the best youth football coach in America. And then I saw him getting on his own son. I mean, just every little thing you're not doing right. And 
what was great was the first year that Tanner played organized football, I didn't coach him. And I remember sitting on the grandstand and I observed the other coaches and it was a great picture because I'm very competitive and I could fall into that trap. But when I saw the effect that this coach was having on his son and the way everybody was so uncomfortable, it was a great lesson to me because the next year I started coaching and I said, I'm not going to do that to my children. And so one of the things that I've always told my kids, all three of them competed in sports. I said, look, I will do whatever you want. You want to train together, I'll work out with you. You want to lift or run or go out and kick the soccer ball with my daughter Natalie, throw the football with my sons or whatever I will do. But here's what I'm not going to do. I am not going to be your personal trainer and push you to compete because then you're going to hate me. That's embittering our right. children. And so one of the hardest things, especially if you're competitive, is to let your kid go and let him either reap the benefits of working hard and trying to be the athlete. And I would tell fathers this. I would say, look, it's okay if your kid just wants to be on the team. It's still a great game. And if they don't want to excel, let them be who they are and let them enjoy the experience for the experience. But my kid's going to be a major league yeah, baseball right. player. He's right. going to be Tunch Ilkin. Okay. He's going to be an NFL football player. You know, Tunch, I get you, but see, I'm encouraging right. him. I'm pushing him. I want him to be all that he can be. You know, my dad didn't know anything about American football other than he liked to watch it with his son, me. And so my dad never coached me. And I did not lose out or miss out because my dad didn't coach me. As a matter of fact, it was great not having my dad tell me what I did wrong in the game. And when I was coaching my kids, I had to be very careful because your first impulse is, like you said, I want to coach my kid. I want to tell them the mistakes. And I said, don't do it. Don't say what they did wrong. Just let them be kids. And it's a hard thing for us as dads, and it's a real discipline, and it takes prayer. Lord, don't let me screw my kid up through sports. Let me not be the dad that's the knucklehead that's trying to coach my kid to be the next NFL player. Look, if a kid's going to be a great athlete, if a kid is going to play professional sports, he's going to play professional sports whether you're there or not. The best thing a dad can do is be a cheerleader. Way to work, way to have fun, way to be an encourager. I think probably where I challenged my kids the most is telling them to be encouragers to other kids. I saw you encouraging that kid. Way to be, way to be an encourager. That's what you want to be. That's where I think that as dads, we can really, really have an impact. And then the other thing is when we're coaching is to coach the kid that's not very good. And that's the kid we're going to impact. The kid that's great roll the ball out, let him go do it. But it's the kid that's playing football. He's scared to death. He's not sure how he's going to hit him. That's the kid that we take aside and we coach him up and we encourage him. And that's what our kids need to see, how we impact the kid that's dad's not there. We have to make sure that our filter is with us at all times. The I am very competitive and I want to win filter. And how has God called me to impact the young lives that I'm entrusted to. And thank God for forgiveness because yeah. I've had to ask my kids, I uh, man, I am sorry. Yeah. I am really messed up. I was way too hard on you. It's easy oh, to do. Oh, man. And not even know it until right. you've done it. Right. I was coaching peewee football fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and uh, there's this little kid, all participation, right? Yeah. So he's standing by me. He's all dressed up in his pads and his helmet and everything. And so I said, all right, man, 
it's your time to go in. And he looked at me and said, nah, nah that's okay. You don't have to send me in. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, I really don't want to play. Right. He said, my mom and dad want me to play. Yeah. Waive the participation uh -huh. rule for me. And yeah. I always laughed at that. The kid didn't want to be there. Right. He was having a fine time standing on the sidelines. And yeah. that's okay. And dad's got to understand, your kid may not be an athlete. John Kolb, who was a great offensive tackle with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's from Oklahoma. He said people were so crazy about football in Oklahoma. If you had a son that didn't like football, you'd trade him in for one that did. <laughs> and Pittsburgh's the same way. There could be a tremendous pressure to play football, and it's okay to participate and just enjoy the participation. Just have fun. Last time I looked, that's, that's, what, what, that's what they're for. <laughs> so... We've talked about men going after it in the workplace. I mean, they're leaders there. Then at home, they can be passive. Right. We're challenging men in this series to lead. Be a servant leader, but to lead. Your kids don't want to be your friend. Right. They need a father. Right. Our kids need someone to help them determine the culture where the culture is dangerous and what to stay away from. They need someone to help them be discerning about what they watch on television. Right. Video games. Today, counselors are telling us a lot of marriage issues are guys in their 30s who are addicted mm -hmm. to video games. And, you know, now, I mean, not like when we were growing up. We didn't have video, well, well, video well, games. <laughs> we didn't have video games. I don't think we had computers. We didn't have anything. <laughs> we had the backyard. Outside, Outside. and playing. That's, oh. what I, that's what I said. <laughs> hey, um, instead of playing virtual, why don't you go out and do the real thing? <laughs> so these guys are addicted, and dads need to lead. Right. Need to say no, need to say yes. As you said earlier, you may not feel like going to church. Right. But it's not about you. Right. It's about the family you're leading. You need to get them there to worship the Lord. So we need to challenge men to lead. Right. Leaders lead. Right. Yeah, you know, the flip side of embittering your children is holding them up as an idol. Some kids are very gifted. And what I see too often is a kid that's a great athlete, there becomes this hero worship from their parents. They're making all sorts of adjustments to put them in the, just the right school district with the best football team and get the best coaches and, and then to not parent them because they're so good and to just hold back or turn their head when they're misbehaving or not allowing them to fail their classes because, hey, they're the great athlete. And so you're right, kids need parents. And so we need to lead spiritually. And even when they don't want to do the devos, I don't know how many times my kids are going, oh, no, devos again, or family night. We're tonight's family night. And there's this tendency to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe we don't want to do it. But you got to push through that and lead, and part of that is to say no, you can't go there. Part of that is to say no, that's not a place. Where are you gonna be? And to find out and make those tough calls. Is my son there? He told me he was gonna be there. Is there any al alcohol there? And all those things that are very unpopular that make you the crazy parents, as my kids would say, how come I got the crazy parents? And I said, because your parents really love you. <laughs> so this used to drive me crazy. Kids would want to go do something that we didn't let them do. They're going to go to someone's house or whatever. The parents are going to be gone. And we say, no, you can't do that. And so we're the bad guys, right? Yeah. Until other parents call us and say, oh, I'm glad you said that. We were feeling the same thing. Right, right. Parents have to lead. You can't let other parents raise your kids 
Now, talk about this real quick. Kids are going to be competitive. Right. Kids know who wins right. and who loses. Right, right. No score. Yeah, we lost 17 to 1. <laughs> yeah. We're not oh, keeping score. We're not keeping score. I cup score. <laughs> it's great to know how to win, but you got to teach your kids how to lose and how to fail. Yeah. Failing is a part of life. You know, I don't know when we got to this point that failure is bad. I'm a firm believer that when a kid gets in trouble, the worst thing that we could do is to try to intervene and alibi for our children with a principal or with a coach. You know, I want my children to fail while they're still under my roof. So the consequences are a lot less than when they're adults. And my kids would always say, my dad never bailed me. And we didn't, we didn't bail them out. We weren't hovering parents. We weren't underneath with the net trying to catch them when they fell. And I think in the long run, it was the wise thing to do. And I used to tell them, look, when you guys are adults, you're gonna understand this, that you will fail, that if you have a teacher or a coach that you think is a jerk, guess what? Chances are you're gonna have a boss that thinks yeah. you're a jerk. And if someone grades hard, well, guess what? You're gonna be evaluated hard in the real world. So it's important that you learn how to deal with this and that I'm not gonna be there to step in for you and I really don't want to step in for you. In our generation, parents never stepped in for kids. When I got in trouble, I got in trouble. And if I got in trouble at school, I was going to get in trouble when I got home. Double, that, double whammy. That's man. just the way it is. As fathers, we are not to protect our children, but to prepare our children. That's a lesson that young fathers particularly have to learn, that you're not trying to turn them into the greatest athlete. You're preparing them for life. Now, let's talk about this touch and the time we have here. You counsel a lot of guys, and a lot of those guys are involved in blended families. Right. So talk about some of the special challenges of blended families. You know, Ron, one of the things that I think has become quite evident to me is it is very complicated. A lot of times I'll sit across the table at a restaurant or over a cup of coffee, and a guy will share his challenge with me, and I'll go, how do you deal with that? And the challenge becomes, who's disciplining the kids as they alternate from blended family to blended family? Because a lot of times it's split custody. Number one, am I on the same page with my current wife on how to discipline all the children that are under our roof? And then what happens if my ex-wife or ex-husband does not have the same values I do? What happens when my child comes back do I fall into the trap of this competition? Because that's what it ends up becoming. Right. Who gives the kid more? A lot of times, one of the parents is trying to buy the allegiance. One parent might be allowing something. Now they come back into your house, and so there's this re-entry. And a lot of times, it becomes very tough. And then in this blended family situation, a lot of times, maybe my new wife does not believe in discipline. The solution is to understand what the Word of God says how I am to parent, how I am to lead my family, and in a very, very loving way, doing that. And when the struggles come, the tendency is to be beat down by that. And a lot of times that then becomes a battle of resolve and a waiting on the Lord and an understanding of the scriptures and sticking to what the scriptures say, even when it hurts. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 15, a man of God sticks to his oath even when it hurts. Yeah. You know, we could talk a lot, and we'll talk some more another time about blended families because I know there's a lot of challenges there. I always encourage men and women. The situation with your ex-spouse may have been extremely difficult, and there may be a lot of hurt, and there may be a lot of bitterness, and that's still going on. But your 
ex-wife is the mother of your children. Right. Don't speak poorly of her in front of those kids. Yeah. Your ex-husband right. is the father of your children. Don't speak poorly of him. But as you say, you can only be responsible for what you're doing now. And I've got to lead my family in a way that honors God. There's a great passage in the Old Testament, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In touch, I see three observations from that passage. One, godly parenting starts with godly parents. <laughs> yeah. Godly fatherhood begins with a godly father. We're not perfect, but Scripture says you first are to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's where it's got to start. Secondly, as fathers, and we've been talking about this, you've got to be in the Word of God. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts, reading Scripture, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture, and then impress them on your children. That's the whole leadership thing, isn't it? And don't just compartmentalize where you're the good Christian father at church, but talk about things of God when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, everywhere. All the time. It's all of life. All the time. Yeah, and it's the old adage that more things are caught than taught. You know, one of the things when my children were growing up, I want them to know that my time with the Lord was every morning between 5.30 and 6. There was my chair, and my Bible and my prayer journal were always by my chair. And so whenever they walked through the living room to get out the front door, they knew that that's where I was. And so they knew that my commitment to God, not only in what I told them and what I shared with them and the way I prayed and tried to lead, but there was also this that they knew that that's where Dad met with the Lord every morning. And so it is really our commitment to following God and the way our children view that and the way we teach and the way we live our lives that ultimately have the really the biggest impact on them. We realize that we are inadequate, and that's the first thing we need to realize. That's right, that's right. But God is more than adequate. More than adequate. And he gives us exactly what we need right when we need it. We want to thank you for listening today on The Journey. Join us next time as we talk about a man and his integrity.